Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Well, welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. And in this podcast, we're all about the valley. And another way to say that is we're for the valley. We're for it. And I'm so excited to be joined by two people who mean a lot to me. One of them I've known my whole life, 39 years of my life. That is my older brother, Jesse uh, Velarde. And man, I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. And then we have Kathy Slain as well. And Kathy and I have known each other for several years. We, we were trying to remember exactly how long. I believe it's seven years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the seven-year mark there. Um, but both of them are part of what's called ADAPT. And ADAPT helps people who are often um, forgotten about or are in vulnerable situations, those who have mental disabilities and need job placement, they seek to help walk alongside them. And this is part of the arc of PA as well. And I don't want to steal their thunder, but I wanted to welcome you guys onto the podcast. And I wanted to hear from you about your who you are and about what it is that you do. All right. Well, thanks for first of all for having us on. At at Adept, what we are what we are all about is we are excited to partner with local businesses, companies, and organizations to reduce their turnover, maximize their efficiency, and elevate their profile by connecting them to the strengths, the talents, the drive, and the passion of individuals with special needs. Right now, there's 60 million individuals with special needs throughout the United States, and about 80% of them are unemployed. But they've got a wide variety of skills, they've got a wide variety of talents, they've got a wide variety of passions and drives, and they are eager to make a contribution to the economy. And we, What makes us a little bit different is we utilize a process that's called discovery, where we'll spend about four months observing a person in their home, out in the community, volunteering, recreationally. And we will get a clear picture of what they're, what they're really good at, what they're really interested in, where will be a good fit for them. And that's the goal is we are trying to find the right fit. So, Joseph, we could see if we spend four months with you, you're really friendly, you're really articulate. And we could go to an employer and say, Joseph is hardworking, he's great with people. He would be a great fit for your company in this specific role. So it helps the company and it helps the individual at the same time. Mm-hmm. Kathy, you have anything to add to that? I know that... Jesse's quite the uh, visionary uh, in expressing that. But did you have any other thoughts you wanted to add about that? Jesse is the visionary, and it's part of the reason that I love Jesse on our team. Um, You know, Jesse Jesse was very correct in, in saying that the discovery process is very, very different in what has been happening in the past. Um, I've been doing actually what they consider supportive employment for individuals with special needs since um, 2005. And things with discovery are a little bit different. Um, Back in 2005, we could look at an individual and we would look in the newspaper and say, well, this grocery store needs a bagger. And we'd say, well, Johnny can bag groceries. And unfortunately, in that kind of day and age, back in the day, you know, 2005, we would take Johnny and we would say, okay, Johnny, you're going to bag groceries. Unfortunately, Johnny maybe didn't want to bag groceries. Um, Johnny maybe wants to stock shelves or Johnny maybe likes animals or maybe he wants to be a dog walker. 
So with the discovery process, getting to really know the individual, we're Mm -hmm. able to give a good fit um, for employment so that the individual is also fulfilled. Mm, That's really good. So I want to ask you guys, this discovery process, is this a process that's solely used for ADAPT or is this, uh, is this used for, by other employers outside of just what you guys do with your clients? Discovery actually was um, created, I'm going to say created, um, back in the 70s by a gentleman named Mark Gold. And Mark Gold back in the 70s already believed that anyone was teachable, mm-hmm. regardless of their disability or ability. And Mark Gold actually created the process of discovery, again, being it non-traditional that you're working with an individual one-on-one. Um, unfortunately, Mark Gold lost his life to cancer in the 80s. Um, however, his very close friend, Mike Callahan, continued Mark Gold and Associates. So Mark Gold and Associates actually started in Mississippi, and they have now spread it almost world, you know, countrywide, really, um, coming to Pennsylvania and partnering, partnering with the Arc of Pennsylvania so that they could teach discovery. There are other companies um, in the Valley that offer Discovery. Sometimes they are certified by Mark Gold and sometimes they are not. Okay, okay. Because I thought what was interesting about what you guys were sharing about Discovery, I think this goes across the board, whether you are working with what you guys do with Adept and your clients or you're someone trying to figure out where you are in your own personal development and growth to be able to discover and to have the tool like that to help you to discern that. And even if you're an employer, to be able to see, hey, it's important to put the right people in the right seats based on uh, even their their um, their abilities. And I like how you said it, Kathy, so well, that sometimes we, we can limit people because of the disability or ability. But any person who's willing to can grow because teachability isn't a trait that we inherently are gifted with. It's something we we can grow into and choose to have. And so I I think that's really powerful because I I think for all of us, when we're working with others and we're pointing into them to be reminded um, that we have a a responsibility and a, a calling, a purpose to walk with them, to help them reach their greatest potential, to, to say things like, I believe in you and this is what I see in you. But then on the other side of that, maybe you're not necessarily the employer, but maybe you're the employee to be a person that wants to discover who you are and says, hey, I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to adjust. I'm, I'm not stagnant uh, because part of our ability to be hireable and even desirable to be a part of a team is our ability to say, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to grow, I'm willing to change. And I think you guys have seen that with the clients that you work with, their families. I know from what I do uh, as, as a pastor, you know, the, the difference between someone moving forward and someone staying where they are is not about skills. It really comes down to teachability. Mm-hmm. Teachability, because I, we can train people to become what it is that they envision or re-envision for them. But again, they have to be willing to do that. And skills can only take you so far. We're watching that right now. Uh, We're big Falcons fans, Jesse and I. And (laughs) arguably, this is probably one of the most talented Falcons teams ever. Like, people would say that just from a sure how many people that they've brought on 
but right now we've only won one game, Uh-oh. and it, we're, it's just not even competitive, and it doesn't make any sense. But the, I think believe I think the difference is about the culture that's there, and culture isn't just about the top down. It's about how the players are choosing to respond, and that's why recently Julio Jones, you know, who's a very quiet, you know, spoken gentleman got up and said to the team, this is not on our coaches, this is on us. We, they've put a, us in a position to win. And I think that is really telling about even ourselves as we seek to grow and, and to develop, but even as we work with others, uh, that we can be a person who is teachable and not to limit people based on our perception of who they are, but rather to have a vision for something greater for them. And so as I think about that, I wanted to ask you guys, how did this area that you're in become a point of passion for you? Because not, I don't think there's a lot of people that say, you know what, I, I want to go into a field that is highly stressful. <laughs> you, know, like, uh, I, you, know, you know what I need? I need more stress in my life. You know, that just yeah. sounds like fun, more drama. You know, I need I need to be misunderstood, you know, or have to deal with bureaucracy or, or whatever the case may be. So how did this this area of what you guys are doing become an area of passion and purpose for you and what you do? Well, several years ago, Kathy and I used to work together at a rehabilitation center for people that had suffered traumatic brain injuries. And brain injury is just really painful. There's a lot of physical damage. There's a lot of emotional damage. There's a lot of mental hardship. And so we worked with primarily men in this rehabilitation facility. Some were higher functioning, some were lower functioning, but almost all of them had had previous work experience. Some had been doctors, construction workers, you know, white collar work, blue collar work, a wide variety of fields, and they were being reduced to a learning environment and I was a teacher in this learning environment where they're what they would primarily be doing is doing a lot of reading reading books reading stories puzzles playing games and what they told us is they really feel like I'm in school and they really wanted to work and what I saw and what Kathy saw is there's a lot of talent there was a lot of potential there was a lot of ability that was not really being put to use it was a matter, and they had the desire and they had the motivation, but unfortunately, because of the system, they were not able to really pursue that to their whole, you know, to the full extent that, that they could. Mm-hmm. And Kathy was the vocational specialist there, and she was going out and finding employment opportunities, and she and I would collaborate to teach once a week a job skills class where we would teach these men, you know, how do you prepare a resume? How do you look professional for an interview? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you do networking? Okay, and, and, and we were seeing that there was so much desire to work. There was so much ability that was not really being put to use. And what was frustrating was that the organization that we were working for seemed to really limit what was possible to what they could really control. Because there seemed to be like, we don't, well, we don't want these people really leaving the facility to really maximize their full potential. And it was so frustrating because it really broke the hearts of these primarily men and, 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 and you just could, you, you could see what, what could be, mm. and, it, and it was just really disappointing and disillusioning. Mm. Mm. What about you, Kathy? What, what, and I know there's probably some overlap, too, for, from what jo- Jesse shared as yeah, well. There is some overlap. Um, however, my journey in this started in 2005, mm-hmm. um, a little bit earlier than Jesse's. Um, in 2005, I lost a very dear friend of mine mm. to cancer. 
Um, so this vocation and what I'm doing is really kind of God-driven um, because in losing her in a very short six months, um, I needed to look at myself and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? What, what am I doing to give back? What am I doing in my life? And so, um, again, God-giving, someone reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to be a job coach? And I said, I don't know. I have no clue. I don't know if I want to be a job coach. And they were like, come on into the office. We're going to talk to you. Um, so I met with these people, um, very wonderful organization. I'm going to drop names here called Ahead, and started as a job coach. Um, job coaching people with special needs on the job, teaching them their skills, teaching them um, how to do their job, and everything just kind of snowballed from there. That's really cool. And I, you guys were both at Success for how many years? Jesse was there longer than I was. I was only there about four years. I was there about eight years. Yeah, so as I, as I uh, watched you journey through that, and I really appreciate you guys even sharing the backstory there. I think one of the things that is so important that we don't miss out on as we talk about um, what it is that you guys do. And and what's interesting, it goes across the board. So whether you're someone with special needs or not, the power of having a purpose to give your life to. And so these men that you mentioned at Success, desiring to work, desiring to use their life and their skills. Like, we all have that within us. We want to be a person who lives out of the purposes in which we were created because we were made for a purpose, you know, and, and not only on purpose. So we are made on purpose and for a purpose as well. And so when we're not able to do that, there there's a, a gap in, in our life and the quality oh, yeah. of life that, that we're living because we're all intended to add value. And I love how you guys not only said of them that they wanted to work and they they wanted to add value, but they were valuable, that they had something to add. So not only did they want to add value, but they, they were people who could add value. They were valuable. And I think oftentimes we can have such a short-sighted view of people across the board, but specifically to what you guys were talking about. And I, and I think that passion and that drive of having a vision for these people. And I just wanted to ask you guys, where did that come from? Like, I know where, where it is that you are currently, and what it is that you're doing, but to have a vision for what others could not see, you know, um, others could not see. Where, where does this vision in your mind, and I, I, Kathy hit on it a little bit too, but it's God-given. But when you look at the fact that you were saying, hey, you could have just collected a paycheck. You could have just, you know, phoned it in, so to speak. You know, you, you could have done what was asked of you, quote unquote. <laughs> Follow the rules, you know, all the rules, go through bureaucracy, go, you know do the song and dance, but you had uh, this deeper hunger and passion. And so I'm curious, where did that come from? You know, where did you, where did that, uh, you know, start for you in your own story and journey? And this can happen before you even got to your careers, but, but what, what formed that in you? And I think it's important because I, I think it wasn't just like one day you rolled up and you're like, oh, you know what? I just have these vision, this vision for these people. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. There was something deeper in you that was uh, dr- driving that, I believe. So I was right. curious if there was a situation or people or your story that led you to have that type of vision. Well, for me, um, sorry, Jesse. Um, 
for me, and I always joke with Jesse about this too, you know, I am about 98% Irish. Um, and I come from a school county, which is this, this backwoods kind of coal region county. And so for me, I think it was just kind of really kind of ingrained in me from the very beginning with my, especially with my dad, who was, you know, driven to not be in the backwoods of Schuylkill County and to be able to get out there and give back. And, and I saw my parents continuously giving to individuals in the community um, as I grew up people in need, you know, just simple things like you need a, you know, you need a kitchen table here, have ours. Mm. Just like those kind of things. Just, it, I think I kind of grew up with that. Yeah. So it was, it was caught in your life by your yeah. parents because of the way they, they, they lived. And even, I think you said too, about your friend who died tragically yeah. six months, mm-hmm. um, of her battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. And in, in that, I think to have a bigger view of your life than just getting by, uh, but, but rather asking, Hey, is, is what I'm doing really, um, adding, we've t- used this term throughout this podcast, adding value. Is there significance mm-hmm. behind my work? Do I feel like this is my call? Right. And, and, and no call is lesser than the other. It's really about discerning your call, your purpose, your passion. We often say here at Riverbend, stay in your lane, run your race. <laughs> You don't need to be somebody else because everybody else is taken. You need to be you, right? You need to be you. No, you know, you don't need. An, they don't need another Joe Velarde. I know I have an identical twin brother, John, and I have an older brother, Jesse. Great, great men, but they they don't need another version of me, and I, they they don't need me to be something that I'm not. But to celebrate who others are, and to be able to distinguish and discern your unique call and wiring, and that's that's really what I was interested in from you guys because it sounds like your parents that situation with your your friend who passed away of cancer really led you to the this point of saying hey i i have a a call to helping people Mm -hmm. like it's a passion Mm -hmm. of mine and i was just curious how did that develop over the years kathy for you specifically oh that's a tough question Sure, Joe. Give me give me the really tough question. <laughs> You're welcome. How did that, how did that develop? It's my pleasure, over the as they years? say, at Chick-fil-A. Um, wow. I you know, I don't know exactly. You know, it, it was that first job and that first time of. Mm-hmm. Is that back 2005? You're talking 2005. about 2005. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's. Um, I mean, when you even factor that in, so it's 2019. You know, now about to be 2020 here. Uh, man, that's a good amount of time. Yeah, it is doing doing that, and, and that makes sense too. Just that, you know, over over time, that that's built through you know those experiences and being able to see, and being able to discern who you are, but even what's needed mm-hmm. to advance things. Um, great experiences, just with individuals. Um, you know, great people. Um, I formed friends even that used to be clients, you know, um, form these friendships and friendships with the, with the families of, of individuals. And I mean, it just, like I said, it just kind of kept snowballing. I just kept When did you know that you were good at it, Kathy? When did I know I was good at it? (laughs) Because for you to be in it this long, I mean, the, the mortality rate of people in these types of professions, helping professions is very, very high. You know, people don't stay very long usually. Um, because of just the, you know, it's a helping profession and there's a, a natural turnover with that. 
So for you to, when did you realize, hey, I'm, I'm good at this? And what kept you going since 2004 to this, or 2005 to this point? The success of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, my first, and my first, what we considered then a placement, you know, placed this person in a job and <clears throat> they were successful and they stayed in the job. And, um, and then, you know, you st- for myself, and it's part of my DNA, I'm sure, you know, you start kind of, um, you know, pressing yourself. Yeah. Well, man, you know, if, if Johnny can do this, man, I, I just, I know Emily can too, mm-hmm. you know? And so you just kind of start pressing yourself and, and seeing the abilities in all these individuals and how much mm-hmm. fire they have. Yeah. There's, there, is su- there is such a joy yeah. in watching somebody else find fulfillment because they throughout their life, the unintended communication has been, well, you're special needs. You're disabled. You're part of the feeble-minded. Mark Gold was way ahead of his time because in, in the 70s, the idea that somebody with special needs was working was crazy. Okay, But now, because somebody said, I believe in you, and I'm going to find your unique gifts and your talents and abilities and then put you to, to, in a place where you are making a contribution and an impact. And now they're seeing, man, this is, you can see them. It really makes them come alive. Yeah. They really are seeing their value even more, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and this really developed throughout my life because I grew up in such a dysfunctional family. When my dad was not around, my mom was having fun. about a family like hey, that. Hey, man, I'm just <laughs> That's what I was present company excluded, okay? But but throughout no, throughout was, growing up, throughout childhood, without my dad being there and all my mom's many issues, we had a lot of people come pour into our lives, you know, and really encourage us and challenge us. And even as an adult, you know, had somebody who was willing to mentor me and and seeing the difference that that made and now being available to, to do to help with somebody else and, and help them is, it, it just brings me such joy. Yeah. So, so well, one of the things I, I think as I listen to both you guys talk that I think is really important. Um, it doesn't matter what field you're in. The truth of the matter is we will not be truly fulfilled in our vocation. If the end goal is our own personal fulfillment. We're, we're truly only fulfilled, I believe, and I think there's a lot of evidence that supports this. We're truly only fulfilled, first and foremost, when we are part of something that's greater than just ourselves. And we find our lane and we run our race. But then the second part of that is where we seek to help others find fulfillment. We, we set up others for success. So we feel like a success and, we, and those feelings that we desire uh, to have as far as success and accomplishment. Oftentimes, you know, we look at our own personal portfolio, but really the best portfolio that we could ever have is to look at the way our lives have impacted other lives and to say, wow, you've used, you've used my life. My life has been used in such a way to set others up for success. And I, I love how you said that, Kathy, about the, the, the Johnny illustration, right? Like if Johnny can do it, then who's the girl you said? I just picked out Emily. Just Emily. <laughs> Emily. If, if Johnny can do it, Emily can do it. And if Emily can do it, Mark can do it. And if Mark can do it, then Susan can do it. And then this just starts this multiplication movement. But it has to start with this belief that people 
aren't lesser because they have special needs or they have limitations. Because the reality is we all have limitations. You know, limitations oftentimes are, are viewed as hindrances or curses. But really, limitations, limitations are intended to be seen as a gift, a gift that helps us to understand what we're able to do and then where it is that maybe we can thrive that others can't. Because they have limitations too. Everybody does, right? Like, I think about as we're recording this podcast right now, I'm not doing the recording of the podcast. I am the voice of the podcast. I'm interviewing, you know, during this time. But Chris, our, our creative arts pastor here at Riverbend, he's doing that. And he's really good at it, all the technical things. I have a limitation, but my limitation doesn't have to hold me back or hold Vision for the Valley podcast back. It can move us forward if we're just honest about that and don't have such a short-sightedness about who we are and who others are as a result of that. And I, I think that's so powerful as I was listening to you guys share that because I, I think the value that so often we desire to achieve will not truly come when we don't first and foremost understand the value that we have. So we have to receive that. We have to recognize, hey, I have something to offer. But then to say of others, they have something to offer. And that's why Jesus would say it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I was talking about this passage Sunday, and I, I jokingly said, <laughs> when I was reading it, I said, hey, it's more blessed to receive than to give, you know? And, <laughs> and they, were like, they were like, no, that's not what it says. I'm like, well, you know, that's how often we live, though, isn't it? We live like that. And we are wondering why is there such a shortcoming and a gap from my joy and, and this, this deep contentment and satisfaction it's because we, we don't understand that our, what we've been given, what we've been given is meant to then been re, be received, but then to give to others as well. It's what you guys have been saying all throughout. And Jesse is right on when he talks about the people who've stepped in and poured into our lives and, and those who've walked alongside us. I think about my, my special ed teacher, Annette Tucker, and recently I've been, I've been just thinking about her a lot lately. And just she was one, probably one of the first people... Uh, in my high school years to say, hey, I'm, I'm not giving up on you. And her Catholic faith informed a lot of the way she went about what she did. And there's so many people like that, but we're not, we're not meant to just hold on to those, those things, whether it's our family story, Kathy, as you were talking about, or your career opportunities, or the, oppor- the, the painful moments, or the disappointments. You're actually meant to steward those things well. You're meant to, to say, hey, what have I learned from that? And then how can I help others with what I myself have seen and experienced. And I just really appreciate the work you guys are doing in regards to that and how you've chosen to live that out. So here's a question for you, and I, I know you've hit on this a little bit. What, what is the difference you have seen the program that you're in currently adapt, make in your clients, families, and employers? What are some of those differences that you guys have seen over the, the span of your time doing what you're doing? Well, one, one difference is I've been working with somebody named Muhammad for the last year. When I first started working with him last year, he was 28 and he had never had a job before. Mm. And he, he and I spent about three months together. He had already gone through the discovery process and, and, and I would visit him in Center City, Allentown. And he would say, just get me a job. I just want a job. I just want a job. I just want a job. He wanted to work so badly. And we were able to... Um, connect with Chick-fil-A. And even though I have a personal connection and relationship with the owner there, they were not, oh, you ha- know the owner. I know the owner <laughs> I know for four too. decades. 
But even though I knew John, John was not exactly super excited to bring Muhammad on initially, but Kathy came and shared some more. She did what's called a needs analysis and walked through the store and showed John how Muhammad could contribute, could get things done, could help take some load off of his other employees. Hmm. And so Muhammad started working there at the end of December of 2018. And he has, has just, he started at seven hours a week. He's now at 12 hours a week. He could work more if he wanted to. And he, it just brings him a lot of joy to be in a situation where he can contribute. Hmm. What's great about him is that he, his, his mom will drop him off. He will take the bus from Whitehall to Center City, Allentown after his shift is over. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Hmm. And, and he's made a great um, contribution to that team. He's made some good friends there. And he, you, you can see he's really feeling a great sense of fulfillment. Well, I've gotten to know Muhammad myself. So every time I roll up into the Chick-fil-A Whitehall and I'm there a good bit, um, i got a lot of love for Chick-fil-A Whitehall. Uh, but every time I see him, I've, I've watched over this almost a year now. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we're coming up pretty close, two months away from a year, so 10 months. Um, one of the things that I've observed about him is his thoroughness with the task. So that was what he was initially doing. But then I just watched his warmness and his openness um, even more recently. Uh, just even engaging in conversations with me and, you know, talking with me and asking about me. I know Jesse was telling me he was asking about me, uh, <laughs> like, what was, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Joseph in a while. And, and that, there was a span. I wasn't, I wasn't as at Chick-fil-A by Hall as, as often as I had been before. And I'm there a good bit. Uh, but it's just interesting to watch how he's, you know, thriving in that environment. And as you guys have walked alongside them. So I see that the, we see the fulfillment part for those, your clients, the people that you work with. I was curious on the family side, how have you seen your program help the families? Um, well, you know, it's, it's helped families tremendously. Um, I've worked with, you know, several families whose children were at that point where they're ready to graduate from high school. And unfortunately, um, you know, people are give a lot of direction. They, the families get a lot of direction when the child or the, the young adult is still in school. However, when they leave school, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's this lapse. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing. So moms and dads out there are struggling and they're going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, so it, it's... It's a huge benefit for the parents. Mm-hmm. They feel very comfort, comforted that there are organizations, and like Jesse and I are there, and we can say, well, look, you know, this is what we can do. This is the direction we can go um, so that your young adult you know, can contribute and be out in the community and do a lot of things. Um, I had a, a, a mom who was just she was desperate. She was like, Oh my gosh, I just, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, you know, my daughter Lizzie, you know, is ready to graduate and what are we going to do? Because everybody's telling me Lizzie can't work. And, um, by the way, Lizzie's personality is very much Lizzie. If you meet Lizzie, she's, (laughs) she's like a jelly bean, but anyway, (laughs) she is. So, um, we, I worked with Lizzie, and Lizzie now is employed. Um, but not only is she employed, she also has a fulfilled life. Mm-hmm. Um, she volunteers, and mm-hmm. she goes to art programs, and she does all these things. And 
you know, Lizzie's happy and, mm-hmm. and her mom and dad are happy for Lizzie mm-hmm. and are, you know, feel very blessed that everything came about for Lizzie in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what it's about, you know, for the families to be able to feel supported also that they're not just left in the lurch, yeah. you know, their child's graduating and what are we going to do? So it is, it is so demanding. Mm-hmm. To be a parent of an individual with special needs, it is. If you know, I have two boys myself, and I've gotten to know, you know, some of these families, and I know the challenges and the frustrations, and how exhausting it is to raise two boys. But I see these families and how taxing it is physically, mentally, and emotionally to try to plan and prepare to care for them, and then to to figure out well, what's the next step because they can stay in school till they're twenty one. But but what next? What's the next step in this process of trying to find a job, working with different government agencies, nonprofits, funding sources? It is so confusing. It, 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 it is overwhelming to families that we work with. They're, most of their frustration is with state agencies and different organizations that are supposed to be helping their family. And, and it's just a it can be very confusing and chaotic. Yeah, I work with a, actually a mom and dad. Um, their son has cerebral palsy, and he's very limited. And to watch this mom, specifically mom, uh, um, just uh, they live in a two-story home. She lifts this this young gentleman and carries him up the steps and puts him on the sofa and puts him in bed and takes him to the to the restroom and just does all these things. And sometimes I watch her, and I'm, I'm exhausted watching this mom yeah. do all these things for her son. And, you know, um, it certainly compels you to help. That's for and, sure. And, and, and it's so con- such a contrast. The brain injury rehab center that Kathy and I worked at, a lot of these individuals, their family and friends had totally abandoned them. We're talking wives, brothers, fathers, and, and they were so lonely. They were so disconnected. There were times, there were a lot of times at Christmas time, they were spending Christmas at the facility because nobody wanted to be with them. So it's refreshing to see family members and, and, and friends who are eager to get behind and support somebody and really advance their full potential. Yeah, I was going to say too. You know, as we've we've done, and, and you guys both know about this, but the Night to Shine right. uh, prom, and uh, it's coming up February again. We're excited to do that, and, and it's with the Tim Tebow Foundation. One of the things that I learned that I did not know, and yeah. part of this is because we work with a, a foundation called Love Rain Red. They help put it this on, um, and partner with us for the event. Is just how difficult it is when they start when they age out, like so there's not really a plan of, of care uh, that's given. And so I think it's really vital what you guys are doing because I think to even process and, to, and not that it's the full answer, but it's part of an answer. It's saying, hey, we're, we're trying to help, you know, you think through the next steps for, you know, your, your child. And, and again, um, you guys are doing such a vital work in that because for them to find a place to work, you know, other opportunities that you may be aware of that may not necessarily be your exact field or what you do, uh, but could, could really, uh, help them thrive in this season is so important because it is overwhelming. I've, I've just heard parents say, man, what are we going to do? Like, and if you don't have the resources, especially that even makes it that much more challenging. So say you don't have the means, 
you know, you're trying to think of a game plan around to support this child and, and really to care for them well. And so I was so grateful for what you guys are doing with that. What about for the employers? And I know you mentioned about how it helped John uh, at Chick-fil-A Whitehall, you know, to, to really share in some of those responsibilities that other employees were, were doing, then giving that over to Muhammad. But what benefits have you seen for the employees that choose to do this and to work with you guys to find job placement? Well, one, one frustration that a lot of employers are having is finding workers that are going to stay with them, that are really committed, that really want to work. A lot of employers are having a high turnover rate. You've had a huge segment of the population retire. You've had a whole generation of baby boomers just retire. So employers all over are struggling to find people that really want to be there, that are going to stay there. And what they find when they work with individuals like Muhammad and and Lizzie, Emily, and others that we work with, is they find a person that is driven, is focused, is eager to contribute, and is going to stay for the long haul and has a desire to learn, grow, and develop. And, and that benefits them tremendously because now they're not having to worry about turnover and they're getting more out of their other workers and it's really helping them a great deal. Yeah, because I think I read, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jesse, an article that talked about those who choose to leverage those with special needs as far as to employ them. Um, they're like the, the rate of not only retention but also how it helps their overhead and, and long-term trajectory as a business is um as seen like there's 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 uh, evidence that supports a case for bringing them on not just because it's a good thing to do or the right thing to do but really there's a way in which it truly does benefit the business and i know you mentioned the retention part of that is am i, am I remembering that you're, you're 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 exactly right and, and and when we present the people that we're working with at different companies we present this as we want to help your company. We want to help your organization. We want to help your business. This isn't take this person on as a charity case. No, this person wants to contribute and maximize the potential of your organization. And companies that 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 um, employ individuals with special needs have 26% higher profit margins. They've got higher net profitability. They've got higher retention. There's a there's just a whole host of benefits to them if they're willing to um, take that initial step. That's really good. Kathy, did you have anything to add to that? Just, you know, if you look at any business, you know, any business corporation, you know, there is always, in my opinion, in my opinion, there is always something there or a few things there, a few tasks that is being overlooked or is bogging someone down Mm. from doing what they're really good at. You know, we talked about that earlier. You know, so if it's a secretary being bogged down by doing filing, why why not? Why not help your business and not bog down that secretary so that she can be doing other things and have someone come in for a few hours a week and help with the, the filing? Um, there's just, there's so many different examples of that. Um, and if, if we could, in some way, shape, or form, you know, help, employers kind of wrap their head around that and understand that, um, you know, we would even be more successful and we'd be able to help more people. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really uh, a good point across the board, whether you're working with adept 
or you are someone who's listening to this and you're trying to figure out how to maximize um, the people that you work with or you're an employer, um, just to examine, you know, how are, are we uh, bottlenecking in certain areas where we should be involving others? Well, in, and we're talking very specifically here about adept mm-hmm. and the, the opportunity there, but there are other ways as well. You know, you know, we want to make sure we're sharing that burden so that those other people who are underneath it can then be set up for not only success, but then can unleash others to, to work. And I think this is one of the reasons why this program is such a, a huge benefit because it allows for the benefit of um, those doing the work to have support and help, and then they're able to focus on more as well. But I think there's, there's such a key key lesson even across the board by examining kind of just the work rhythm, the workflow of what's going on, and there, are there ways that you could elicit um, support of others and empower and equip others to do the work and not just do all the work or assign the work to just certain people, but involve others in that journey and that process as well. I mean, it's so, such a small investment. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. when we talk to employers, we're saying, could you hire Tim for like two to three hours, maybe two to three days a week to start off? We're going to give you a job coach. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like we're just saying we're dropping somebody off and saying here 40 hours. Right. No, we're saying we're, we're going to start small. Yeah. And, and, and increase their hours as they grow and develop. And our goal in job coaching is get them familiar with you, get them under your leadership, get them or get, get them integrated with the team, make it less about the job coach, make it more about the, to the team or the business. And That's I, good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. Go ahead, Kat. No, I think, Jesse, too, you know, sometimes employers are still kind of looking, you know, through those those narrow glasses and saying, well, if my secretary needs help, oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, that means now I have to hire somebody part-time and I have to at least give them X amount of, of money per hour and I have to give them benefits and I have to do this and I have to do that. So let's look outside the box a little bit. Do you really need to hire some another person at 20 or 40 hours a week? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, would it be a benefit to your company or your business to hire someone at less hours a week yeah. that could just take those certain tasks that are cut out and carved out from from your business and employ someone with special needs. Well, that's really good because I think, too, that even allows the uh, employer to examine what is truly needed, too. So, like, when you start small like that, because one of the challenges is, you know, usually people aren't looking for three hours or, or five hours or whatever, whatever the amount of hours is they're usually looking for something a little bit more substantive as they're desiring to work. But in this opportunity, with what with, with you guys have presented, it gives the employer an opportunity to, to say, hey, here are some tasks that we have. Let's see you know, how this goes, but also what do we truly need? Because, I mean, who knows? I mean, the employer potentially could take on three of those clients and you know subdivide out, and then they're still getting the work accomplished while helping those with special needs thrive as well, which is, I feel like a win-win in that process. So you guys talked about job coaching and providing a job coach for them. What does that entail? What does that look like uh, to, to provide, you know, so say someone gets the job 
and then you have a job coach. What does the job coach do? How do they work with the employer? What does that process look like? Well, the job coach comes in with the individual. Um, the job coach learns the tasks that the individual is, is in need of learning. Um, they work with the employer um, oftentimes very, very closely as to what the tasks are, what's needed, what are the specific steps. Um, and then the job coach will go through and show that individual how to take each step and how to do the task properly. Um, sometimes it's a matter of properly and timely. You know, um, so generally you have a job coach on site, like Jesse explained. Um, you know, the goal is obviously to have this individual be independent, um, but independent in the sense that the employer is also satisfied. So we'll try to back away. Um, we, we will be there for 90 days. However, if by chance we are not able to fade after 90 days, most individuals are um, have the ability to have a job coach on with them for additional time. Okay. When, I, when, when Muhammad started at Chick-fil-A, he started at seven hours. I was his job coach for all seven of those hours. And I would show him the task, but then I would back away and give him the space to do the work, okay, so that he would get familiar with the team and he would get familiar with the task. His time has almost doubled and he no longer has a job coach, nor does he need one. So he's now working independently of a job coach as part of a team under the leadership of John and the other managers at the Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I was going to say, too, I, I think there's such power in, in job coaching, not only for what you guys do, but across the board. So if you're, you're listening to this and you're considering how this may apply to you, obviously we want you to leverage and take advantage of what they do at Adept in, in working with them. But the other part of that is I think, you know, there's something really missed about the development side of things. So I love that you guys have a tool like Discovery um, and, and really helping people to understand who they are, where they could potentially be best suited to use their, their gifts and their abilities, and then provide ongoing training for a period of time where evaluation is given and you're allowed them to grow and, and, and flourish. And you know what? I, I don't think that's just those with special needs that need that. I think that's people in general. We need that. We need to get back to that uh, personal touch, you know, that idea of walking with people. And that's one of the ways we, I think, rid ourselves of what's so common right now, which is toxic work environments. And the toxicity comes oftentimes because there's not a, a great deal of empathy and sharing our skills and our learnings and our lives with others. And if we would do that, if we would take the time to, to work alongside and to walk with people, not micromanage, that's not what I'm talking about, but I think in, in the name of not micromanaging, what we've done is gone the opposite direction, which is become very hands-off. And becoming very hands-off is another form of being uncaring. Micromanaging is uncaring, and being hands-off is uncaring as well. What we want to do is what you guys are doing, and what you described very well with Muhammad, is we want to set them up with what it is they need to know. So who they are, first of all, the discovery tool, right? Secondly, to give ongoing support and coaching. And then thirdly, giving them space to try it out and to learn, but then to evaluate those experiences together. Because the only way you grow isn't just by doing it. That's why People always say that, oh, you get wiser, like, you know, the more life experience you have. No, that's not true. You only get wiser when you evaluate your life experiences 
You only get wiser and you only get better <laughs> when you evaluate what went well and what didn't yeah. go well. Like that's the only way you get better. And that, that doesn't matter whether you're working for Adapt or whatever organization or even within your own relationships. If you're a single person, a married person, a, a person with, with children, it doesn't matter. We need to always be doing that because that's the way we grow and we get better. And, and there's such power in that. So I, I think what you guys are doing is it, just remarkable to hear how you guys have, have set out to walk alongside not only your clients, but the families and the employers as well. So I want to ask you guys, you know, what are the challenges that you have experienced with the field that you're in? And I know maybe you mentioned them before, some of the hesitations that people have to, to join in with what it is that you guys are doing as well. So challenges, hesitations that you've experienced or come across through your time doing what you do? Well, well more recently, the, some of the, the biggest challenges that we have come across has been working with some families. And some families are very impatient. This process takes time. We're trying to find the right fit. We're not just trying to get you a job. We're trying to find an environment where you will thrive and where the company will thrive as well. And this takes time. And, and there's, a, there's a great amount of impatience. Mm-hmm. And when a parent has an individual with special needs, throughout their life they felt a great need to control, 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 protect, protect, protect. The first sign of independence, a lot of anxiety, a lot of hesitation. We've had some parents that were like, yes, I want my son or daughter to work. Yes, I want to get them employed. Mm-hmm. And then we have multiple opportunities and then we're all ready to start, and then she's like, the, the mother or the, or the father's like, oh, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. I, I, I'll, I've, I've got something else that comes up because there's a, there's a fear of letting go. Yeah. There's a fear of letting go and really seeing what somebody could become if I were to take a few steps back. So I wanted to ask you about the impatience part because I think this is important for people to hear. How long does it typically take to get somebody placed? Average. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say average. Yep. Yeah, I'm <laughs> average. You can go high on your average, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to go average about a year. Okay. About a year. Until, you know, from start of the discovery process, like Jesse said, takes about four months. Um, I've sometimes run into situations where I'll talk to the parents and say, Discovery has to be longer. You know, I'm, I don't have enough information. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, so discovery can go longer than like that four months. Um, you know, so until we do discovery, we create a resume. There's a, there's a fair amount of steps to be able to then go out and actually represent and advocate for an individual for two employees for them to be placed. Oh, that's, and, and, and during this during this process, we, we've been able, though, to encourage some of the people that we work with, say, hey, while we're looking for opportunities, there's some things you can be doing. One, one person took the initiative to make their own LinkedIn profile. I was able to work together with him to edit it. He has independently gained more contacts, more connections. Okay? So he's doing on his own and not, you know, so this is collaboration. This is a partnership you know, while we're doing the discovery process, well, you keep learning, you keep improving, you keep growing as an individual, you keep becoming somebody that an employer would want to have contribute to their team. Yeah, and I think it's really key that we we all hear this. It often is going to take longer than we think it should take, 
because we live in an instant culture. You know, we have Instapot, right? Instagram. You know, we have everything <laughs> Insta. Insta. You know, Insta Coffee, right? We can meet up drive throughs, we have streaming services. But a lot of the things that we're talking about is the development of a person. And so to develop a person while finding the right opportunity for said person is really key. But here's the, the thing that Jesse said that I, I don't want you to miss. As you're waiting for the opportunity, as you're waiting for the opportunity, it's a great opportunity for you to start developing the things that are not yet in your life mm. or things you need to grow. No one is stopping you from doing that. No one. The only one who's stopping you from doing that is yourself. So you have the power, I have the power to grow and develop in areas that I need to grow and develop in. I don't have to wait for my circumstances to change for that to happen. So, you know, if I want to learn about something, I can take the initiative to go actually pick up a book and read about it. I can go talk to somebody about it. I can study on it, and then I can start applying those principles as well. And, and recently I did that. I, were, I started reading through this book, and it took me a week to, to I actually listen to the book. I like to clarify. Uh, it was called... Uh, be you know, be known, know what you're for. Yeah, know what you're for by Jeff Henderson. And just really, the book was about the idea of being a person who understands what you're for, what your organization's for, uh, your team that you're leading is for. And anyways, all that to say, as I read it, you know, there were some challenges that I was experiencing as a leader that I was like, I don't know the answer fully. And this book really helped me. And so I started to apply those principles. And what a perspective change, even for me, to not stay stuck in, well, this isn't changing, this isn't changing, this isn't changing. Well, yeah. you know what can change? I can change. Yep. I can develop. I can grow. I don't have to wait circumstantially for everything to be fully figured out. I can move forward in that. And then the second thing that you guys talked about, too, and I think this is really key, and, and whether you're working with ADAPT or you're thinking about this in your own life, you will never grow if you are always at a place of being self-protective or self-preservation. When you're living from that place, you cannot grow because you will only stay where it's comfortable and safe. And whether you're a parent with those with special needs or you're just a parent with just a children, it's, it's, you, it's a fine line to make sure that you're setting the boundaries and not becoming what's called commonly referred to as helicoptering, you know, a helicopter parent but really to provide the room for them to grow and to develop. And I think that goes across the board. That goes for us leading ourselves and leading others, that we're not becoming the stopgap. We're not hindering people's uh, trajectory because we're just afraid. And understandably so. Many of us have been burned before. And I love how C.S. Lewis says it so well in uh, his, his book, Four Loves. He talks about the idea that the only way to ensure that you'll never be hurt is to lock your heart up in a in a coffin and bury it. Because that's the only way that you can ensure that you'll never be hurt. Because to be vulnerable is to open yourself up to hurt. But when you lock your heart up, he says, not only do you miss out on the opportunity and become a person who's self-involved, but then you also become a person whose heart grows hard and cold in the process. Yeah. And yeah. so you gotta, we got to watch that. we got to be careful. And understandably so, I get it. Like, I've been hurt. I have my fair share of stories, scars. I get it. 
but just to be careful that we're not allowing that to be the not not allowing our pain to be the final word, but rather allowing ourselves to process the pains that we've experienced so that it can let us to allow us to have eyes to see clearly in front of us. So if you're a parent and man, you've experienced the stain of your child being rejected or ostracized or left out or looked down upon, or they've, they've had a meltdown, you know, whatever the environment or experiences you've been, what are you doing to process those moments? So they don't have to become a moment that hinders you, but rather can be a moment in your life that you can be healed from and can be a springboard to move forward so that you can walk alongside your child and then walk alongside other parents who are going through that. Because empathy, the expression of saying, me too, I know what you're experiencing, I've been there, that is when we start seeing people come alive because then they feel like, I'm not the only one. I'm not suffocating in this. And such value in that. And so I just encourage us all to be thinking about that for ourselves. This is not just... For those with special needs or, or those, you know, who are going to use your services, this goes across the board for us all. So I wanted to ask you guys, if people want to get involved in this, how do they do that? Where do they learn more? How can they uh, link up with you guys in this? Because I think you're doing such a great, great work. So I want to make sure that they know how to do that. Well, Jesse, Jesse and I actually kind of talked about this. And, and um, I think really the best way to do it is for uh, an individual, whether it is an individual with special needs or a parent, or whether it's an employer interested in employing someone, um, meeting with Jesse and I kind of one-on-one is, okay. is the best way to do yep. that. And that's of no charge to anybody. It's not like we're charging anybody to do that. Um, so Jesse or I or both of us would come out um, <clears throat> and meet with the employer or the individual, the parent, whomever is interested, so that we can answer any questions uh, face-to-face, one-on-one, and be able to get people involved. That's really good. So if they want to connect with you guys, how do they do that? What's the best way to be reached? Well, for me, um, you can either email me or, or, you know, phone call me. That's fine. Okay. So, do you mind sharing that? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so email is K, as in Kathy, Slane, S as in Sam, L-A-N-E, at includeme, P-A dot org. And my private cell no- phone number is 570-573-8683. Jesse, leave it. I, th- I think we'll just we'll just give her give Kathy's information. Okay. Just because I think it, it would be easier for your listeners. Okay. Not to have too much contact well, people, information. Well, people want to contact you, Jesse, and connect with you because they may want to connect with both of you guys. Right. Right. What's Jesse? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Don't be bashful, baby. It's, Come on it's, now. It's it's J Velarde V as in victory E L A R D E at includemepa.org. And you can contact me at 703-300-4679. Awesome, awesome. Well, and you can look at both of our LinkedIn pages. Correct, yes. Okay. And yeah. contact us there as well. That's great. And I want to say, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, we're so grateful for those who have been part of the journey with Vision for the Valley. One of the ways to get this story out and other stories that we've done is to, to like this, to share uh, the podcast with others through social media and, and other ways as well. And then to even subscribe and to leave a review. We would really appreciate that. That's just one of the ways that we're able to get the story out of what's happening here in the Valley because we're for the Valley. And, and the whole reason we started this podcast is to highlight what's going on 
and to connect people to this incredible valley and these stories, stories like Adept and, and Kathy Slane and Jesse Velarde. And we're just so proud of the work that you guys are doing. I just want to say that to you both. Thank you, Thank you guys for fighting for uh, those in the special needs community, for their families, for even fighting for the employers as well, and to set them up for success and to, to have in mind what could be and what should be, and then to be a part of not only envisioning that, but seeing that vision become a reality. I'm just so grateful for you both. I'm so proud of you, Jesse. It's such a awesome, awesome joy to have my older brother <laughs> on the podcast, and man, just so grateful for you both. Love you guys and love what you're Thanks doing. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Joe. Yeah, it's yes, it's our joy. You. It's our joy. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 